Well, it's our final week of this series called Level Up. If this is your first time with us today, today we are wrapping up a series that we've been in for the last several weeks where we've been looking at a guy, his name was Peter. And Peter was this guy who, um, he happened to follow Jesus for three years, and uh, this letter that he writes that talks to us about leveling up comes at the end of his life. In fact, um, we think that he was probably in a prison in Rome about to die. And Peter, who's been spending his entire life since he spent that first three years with Jesus, learning all about what it meant to be a Jesus follower, he spent the rest of his life teaching other people about that. In fact, that's what got him imprisoned. And so as he's facing this this moment where he's like, I'm not going to be able to, to tell anybody else about this ever again, I'm going to write it down. So that all people would have this. And that's what we have dropped into for the last several weeks. And we've been using this idea of video games. Because in a video game, if you just stay at the same level, you'll never beat the game. And so you have to progress as the game goes on. And you have to get a little bit better. Your character has to get a little bit stronger in order for you to be able to win. And with that... We dropped in and looked at what Peter had, had written in week one. We kind of saw like the tutorial stage. You know the tutorial stage of a video game. It's the part that teaches you how to play the game, right? Everything from here's how you do this one move. Here's how you duck and dodge. Here's the things that you can kill. Here's the things that can kill you. That's the tutorial stage. And so Peter opened up this whole letter and says, listen, here's the tutorial stage of all of this. It's called basic faith. It's the very bare minimum. It's actually something that's given to you when you say, I want to be a Jesus follower. You're given basic faith. And in week one, we said that basic faith is this. It's the gospel. And the gospel is very simply the story of Jesus, right? Jesus' story of his birth, his life where he lived a perfect life his death on a cross, his resurrection three days later, and that one day, don't miss this part of Jesus' story, one day he's returning. But we said that's not, the gospel is not just about Jesus, because while that's the good news, you don't really know what good news is unless you know what the bad news is, and the bad news is our story. I don't have to know your life to know whether or not your life is good or bad, because Whatever we judge our own lives on, we, I promise you, we all know that we don't measure up. It's an impossibility. Whether you're examining the guy who lives across the street from you and you're like, you know what, he looks like he's got it all together and I just don't. And Listen, you know at that moment that you don't measure up. And so the story of Jesus when it interwo- is interwoven with the story of us and our falling short of God's glory and what he has for us, All of a sudden, that's the picture of the gospel. It's the good news and the bad news together impacting our lives. And that's the tutorial stage, stage one. Then after that, we said, listen, once you have figured out what the the game is and how to play the game, once you've figured it all out, now you're supposed to begin to do something with it. And Peter said the same thing. He said, listen, once you know what basic faith is, you're supposed to do something with it. He said that you and I have a responsibility to do something, to add to it, to supplement. And in week two, we said that you and I are appropriate response, and we are responsible to grow. 
That's the only way that we can possibly respond to it. And we talked about this word supplement. And we said that really what this word was, was this idea of generosity and sacrificially coming alongside of something. That's what a supplement meant, is that it was sacrificially and generously coming alongside of what God had already sacrificially and generously done for us. So the reason that we respond the way that we do, the responsibility that we have towards growth is because of God's generous and sacrificial gift of basic faith to us. So last week, we said, all right, now we know what the tutorial stage is. Now we know what we're supposed to do with all of this stuff. Now, how do we do it? And we saw that Peter dropped in with a list of seven different things. He said that we should have good character. We should have spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, and generous love. Now, last week we talked about the first four, well, really four and a half of those on that list, and today we're going to finish off that passage. Now, by the way, if you weren't here or you like some of the things that you hear today, it is, this one is back up on our website, and it is ready for you to be able to go back and watch. We had some troubles uh, in the early weeks of this series, but um, that one's there, and I'll encourage you to go back and watch it. So if you have your Bibles, I hope that you do, and you can open them up to 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 5. And it says this, Peter says, So don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given, complementing your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, and generous love. Each of those dimensions fitting into and developing the others. And with these qualities, being active in your lives and growing, no grass will grow underneath your feet. No day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of our master Jesus. Because without these qualities, you can't even see what's right before you. You'll be oblivious that your old sinful life has been wiped off of the books. Let's pray. God, I pray over what we're going to talk about today, these last couple of qualities. God, they're so important. Really, they're, they're the proving grounds, the practice grounds, the, the place where we're supposed to, to explore and experience who you are and all that you have for us. So God, more than anything, I pray that we would pay attention. We would hear from you. And God, that it would affect us in a big way. Give you all of the glory and the honor in your name. Amen. Well, like most of you that are in here, I'm not native to Arizona, right? I come from Oklahoma. And so because of that, I have lots of friends and family and even partners in ministry that like to come and visit me. Um, I don't know if you guys have that, but apparently when it's warm here and cold there, it's a good time to get out of there and come here. Always happens. I feel like we run a constant bed and breakfast. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like that sometimes. I'm okay with it, though. I love all of our friends and family and partners coming out here, and I love Arizona. 
I love showing off the things that God is doing and has already done here. The natural beauty of this place, right? Is this not like one of the most incredible places to be able to wake up in the morning and see the, the sun come up over the mountains or at night to watch the, all the brilliant colors of the mountain over there? I, I am awestruck by it every single time. You know, it's amazing to me that as my friends come out here, that the conversations are almost always the same. Sometimes we do talk about the heat. They're like, how do you survive 120 degrees? I'm like, you don't. You get in the water and you pray. That's what happens when it's 120 outside. But then they'll talk about the mountains. And they're like, I didn't know Phoenix has mountains. And I was like, I didn't either until I got here. I think they're amazing. They're like, palm trees. I'm like, I know, isn't it great? And then they'll talk about the, the houses and how unique that they are here from, from where they're at. The fact that they're used to like brick and everything out here is stucco and it looks so different and there's no yards to maintain, right? They, they all think these things are great. And I'm like, do you want to get out at 120 degrees and mow the lawn? I don't either. Pull, or pull weeds. I spray those bad boys, right? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> so, right? And then sometimes we'll even talk about the incredible pace at which they're throwing houses up in our community, it's incredible to me, right now, they're building about two houses a day. It's incredible. Two houses a day. That's almost 700 new houses that will be opened up with new families over the next year here in Australia. But it never ceases to amaze me that every single time, every single time that they come, there's one thing that they want to take a picture of go stand next to, that they want to talk about. It's something that they don't have in Oklahoma or really anywhere else in the world. In fact, it becomes a major point of conversation. I don't mean any sort of pun about it if you've already figured out what it is. But this is the only place in the world, the Sonoran Desert is the only place in the world that these things exist, and yet they've come to signify everything about the Western United States talking about the Sohora cacti. Now, if you're English, saguaro, all right? I don't know if I can say the other one enough times. I may, may have to get some of my Spanish-speaking friends to help me out, but the Sohora uh, cacti, right, is one of the most interesting things to them. And you may know some of the facts that I'm going to tell you about this cactus. Maybe you won't, right? But I find it fascinating that in the first 10 years of life, the cactus grows one inch. One inch. In the next 20 years of its life, it will get to be one foot tall. It's incredible. 25 to 30 years of age, this cactus is one foot tall. In the next 30 years, until it's about 50, almost 75, it will grow to be about five to six feet tall. I'm six feet, so I should, I should gauge myself about right here. And it's not until the cacti is somewhere between 75 and 100 years old, it's somewhere between 12 and 15 feet tall, that it begins to get its first arm. That blows all of my friends' minds. They look at these plants and they go, you mean if it has an arm that goes like this, that means that it is 75 years old? Yeah. And then they start doing the math. They're like, so that one has four arms on it. Does that mean that it's 300 years old? 
No. But they're always blown away by, by these things. And as I was reading Peter's list, the first four things that were on the list, right, they all have to do with our ability to grow vertically in our pursuit of God. From good character to knowledge to self-discipline all the way into godliness is all a vertical pursuit of who God is. And it results in that word reverent wonder. I don't think we defined reverent wonder last week, so I want to drop a definition for it real quick. Reverent wonder means this. It means simply having a right feeling or a right behavior towards God. We talk about this idea of what all of that vertical growth results in. It is that we would have a right feeling and a right behavior towards God. And then, after all of those first four and a half things, then Peter says, brotherly love. Or a word that you probably are familiar with, Philadelphia. We call it the city of brotherly love because literally in the Greek it means brotherly love. And then he says from there, agapao or agape. He says generous love. And those two things seem to relate to our ability to grow horizontally and to have relationships with other people. And on the surface, on the surface, it may seem like what Peter is saying is that you and I should be like the Sahara cacti. That for the first part of our life, that we should be focusing on all of this vertical growth between us and God because uh, just like the cacti, we're not mature enough in order to support an arm. Now, there is some truth in that idea, right? Because the truth is, is that most of us, right, we are probably not big enough or mature enough in order to handle relationships of any sort. We are self-centered. We are selfish. We are, you just name the list of what it is that we are. All of those things keep us from having great relationships, and so to some extent, there is truth because we will fail miserably in relationships. But really, that's more about us than it is about what Peter is saying about how it is that we should grow in our lives. And it's more about us than the fact that we need to grow vertically before we can grow horizontally. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. He says, Do not neglect to meet together, which is the habit of some. He said, But it's all the more reason that you should be encouraging one another until the day that is drawing near. The day. The day that Jesus is coming back. You know, I find it really incredible the two words that Peter used of phileo and apagot excuse me, agapeo. You say, well, why do you find that interesting, Charles? 
Well, those two words happen to be something that Jesus said to Peter before Jesus left the earth. You see, in John chapter 21, we have a story where Jesus, he's already died on the cross. He dies in chapter 19. In chapter 20, he comes back to life. At the end of chapter 20, several, I mean, most of the disciples meet him. They see him, 11 of them, to, or excuse me, 10 of them to be exact. And one of them's left out, and one of them is no longer with them. And then they get back together with all 11 of them, with the one who's no longer a part of the 12 is gone, and they all see him, and so that's how everything ends. But then you have chapter 21, and in 21 you open up and there's this scene where there are seven disciples that are together, led by Peter, and they're hanging out in a room, and they're supposed to be waiting for Jesus to come back one more time to come see them and hang out with them before he goes back to heaven. And Peter gets tired of waiting. He's like, I don't really know what we're doing here, so I'm going fishing. And the other six guys that are in the room say, you know what? We don't know what we're doing either, so we'll just come with you. And so they go jump in Peter's fishing boat, and they go out on the Sea of Galilee and begin to go fishing. Peter's returned back to his old life, doing the old things that he knew how to do, when Jesus has given him a new life. And while they're out fishing, most of the night, they don't catch anything. They're terrible fishermen. Now listen, this used to be his job. He used to be really good at this. And then the whole night, he catches nothing. And as dawn breaks, a guy standing on the beach hollers out to them and says, Hey, how's the fishing? And they say, Terrible! And the guy says, Well, anybody that has nothing to do, has no knowledge about fishing, says, well, why don't you try the other side of the boat? Like they hadn't thought of that, right? If the fish don't swim underneath the boat to this side, why? Sure, whatever you say. So they pull the nets up and they throw them on the other side of the boat. And the nets fill up with fish. And instantly, Peter recognized as who it was that was hollering out from the beach at him. It's Jesus. Peter jumps out of the boat. Now, I think it would probably be faster to have, like, you know, taken the boat in. But Peter jumps out of the boat and swims into shore to go see Jesus. And together, the other disciples bring the boat in, and they have breakfast on the beach together with Jesus hanging out. And after breakfast is over, Peter and Jesus have a conversation that John records for us. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Do you have generous love for me? Peter looks back at him and he says, Jesus, I phileo you. I love you like a brother, man. And Jesus says, okay, take care of my little lambs. And Peter's like, okay, I, I, I can do this. And Jesus looks at him a second time and says, Peter, do you agape me? Peter's like, I thought we already did 
did this once. <laughs> yeah, 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 Jesus, I, 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 I brotherly love you. I phileo you. Jesus says, okay, will you feed my sheep? Oh, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And then Jesus looks at him a third time. He says, Peter, Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter breaks down, just sobbing. Because Jesus just cut through to everything in that moment. You see, as Jesus was on trial and headed towards imminent death on the cross, Peter was there watching everything that was going on. And people in the crowd began to notice who Peter was. And one person looked at him and said, Peter, you used to be with that guy, right? Aren't you one of his followers? And Peter's like, no, man, I don't know that guy. The second conversation pops up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you were his, like, number one disciple, right? And Peter's like, no, no, you're going to quit. And finally, a third conversation happens. And this time, Peter is so frustrated that Peter curses and screams out, like, I mean, good sailor language going on here. He's a fisherman, right? He's like, I don't know that guy, and I want nothing to do with him. In that moment, Jesus looks across at Peter, and their eyes connected. And a rooster crows in the background. And Peter remembered something that Jesus had said to him that said, listen, you're going to betray me. You're going to deny me before the rooster even crows. And Peter left. And he wasn't at the scene when the cross happened because he was ashamed. And in this moment, Jesus said, listen, I want you to understand all of the brotherly love that I have for you and you're forgiven and you're restored. You know, I think it's interesting. One author, his name was Jack Kelly. He said that in this moment, Peter learned two things. Two things. He said, here's the first thing that Peter learned. He said, it's impossible for man to love God the same intensity that God loves man. Peter learned that. But here's the second thing that Peter learned. God understands this, and he accepts our weakness, and he comes to meet us at our own level. See, God said, Jesus said to him, do you have that generous love for me? He's like, no, here's what I've got for you. Do you have that generous love for me? No, here's what I've got for you. He says, you know what? What you've got for me is good enough. And we'll start right there. Peter couldn't muster up to say, I agape you. He knew that he didn't measure up. But when Jesus said to him, it's okay, he said, I'm not going to ask you to measure up what you had already broke down. I recently heard a a pastor give a welcome to his church, and he talked about a long-standing tradition. 
a long-standing tradition of churches that had red painted doors. Now, we don't get to paint our own doors here. Maybe one day when we have our own building, because of this tradition, we will paint them red. But he said, he said it, it represented something that was incredibly powerful. Because out there, just like Peter understood that he didn't measure up, when we are out there in the world, we're constantly bombarded and faced with the fact that we don't measure up. Ever felt like that? Oh, yeah. I do, all the time. We don't measure up. In fact, sometimes we may look around and we may just say, you know what, I don't even feel like, not only do I not measure up, but I'm not even equipped to be able to compete in the world that is out there. We may feel like we're unworthy. And we are more than acutely aware that we don't belong. And then we come to church. We bring all of that baggage of not feeling like we belong, being unworthy, being unwelcomed. And we come into the church. And everybody comes through the same doors of the church. And the doors that are painted red. And whatever shortcomings they had, whatever strengths that they had or did not have, it doesn't matter because they come through the same red doors. And the red doors were painted that way to remind us of the blood of Christ. You see, it is through the blood and the finished work of Jesus on the cross that all of us can be here. We don't have to belong out there. In fact, we can feel like we don't belong in here, but we do because it's not based on what we do or what we have to offer or what we could possibly offer. It was already done. And so because of that, we are welcome inside of here. Because of that, we have a place where we can be encouraged instead of discouraged. Because of that, we have a place where we belong, not because of us, but because of Jesus. What a gift. Peter, three weeks ago, he said it's basic faith, right? Well, really, three verses ago, it's just taken us that long to get through it. He says, basic faith, it gives us all the same standing. It gives us all the same restoration. The same restoration that Peter had received from Jesus, talking about those two words of love. Brotherly love and generous love. Peter's by the way, I want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss this because when Jesus restores Peter, he does so so that Peter could be among the sheep. You see, he told him to feed the lambs, take care of them, and then he told them at the very end to feed the sheep. Do you know how a shepherd feeds sheep? It's not from afar. In fact, I love this idea. I want you to just think for me for a second. Pretend like you're a shepherd right? And let's just say you've got sheep right here in Australia. They're roaming the mountainsides. Guess what? This looks a lot like Israel. It's not much different. 
We have a different cacti, all right, but it's pretty similar. And there's a famous passage, Psalms chapter 23, that says, The Lord is my good shepherd, right? And I should not want, and he leads me to green pastures. And I think sometimes in our, especially my Midwestern idea and view, I think about these like lush green fields that that shepherd is taking the sheep into for them to eat everywhere. And that's wrong. We don't have lush green fields in Arizona. Instead, it was this idea that as the sheep was following and near to the shepherd, the shepherd would point out, here's a sprig of grass right here. You haven't eaten yet. Come, this is yours. And he kept track of all of his sheep and how much that they got to eat. And as they walked the path, he protected for one to allow them to eat and get the nourishment that they needed and didn't let one to eat too much. And then when it was their turn, he provided for all of them. And I love that idea because it's this very intimate and close thing when he's saying to take care of and to feed my sheep. Jesus said to him, good, you have brotherly love. Good. Use that. Use that to take care of those that are following me as you follow me. You know, in John chapter 21, Jesus goes on and he tells Peter how Peter will die one day. Tells him that he'll grow old and he'll be led where places that he doesn't want to go. And here it is, right? Peter's in that moment. And he's remembering the things that Jesus said to him. He's remembering that Jesus said, do you agapao me? Do you have that sort of agape love for me? That generous love? Do you love me the same way that I love you? The way that God loves you? And way back there, Peter said, I couldn't match what God was saying. I couldn't match what Jesus was saying to me. So I didn't have it in me to be able to do that. I hadn't grown that yet. But he says, you can He says, you and I can grow that, and that we should. And that's the goal, to be like Jesus. But we don't just automatically get to generous love. It starts with brotherly love. It starts with, well, here, let me tell you what it is that I believe it starts with. I think growth, or excuse me, growth, happens in groups. I think growth happens in groups. Now, we tend to think that leveling up and growing is a very personal thing. Well, this is my own personal faith journey. This is my own job to be able to take care of and defend for myself. And I think Jesus would have looked at all of us and said, poppycock, this is not about you, yourself, doing this all by your lonesome. He says, listen, groups help you to grow. In fact, check this out. Jesus grew his followers in groups. He took 12 guys 
and said, you 12 guys, I'm going to make a community group out of you, a small group out of you, and we're going to do life together. And then from that group, he took three smaller group, a smaller group of three guys and said, you three, I'm going to spend even more time with you. He did life in groups. And so the question, the question of the day is this. How do you grow your loves? How do you grow brotherly love? How do you grow this generous love? A love that is for all of the world, the people of the world, in a way that God loves them. Let me tell you, when I see people out in the world, there are lots of times that I do not love them the way that God loves them. Sometimes I think, why can't they just fix their own problems? Why do they need somebody else to fix them for them? And God's like, well, you need somebody to fix your problems too. Some of us, we'd say, here's how I do that. I come to church, right? I show up here on a Sunday, and that's going to help me to grow my brotherly love. Isn't this who I'm supposed to grow brotherly love with? Yeah, yeah, but let's just talk about that for a second. Let's just set a high bar for some of you that show up on a, on a Sunday morning. You show up five minutes before church starts. I know it's a high bar, all right? You show up five minutes before church starts, and at the welcome time, you take all of the welcome to, to talk and to, to mingle with people. You stick around for five to ten minutes after church is over. And at the end of a Sunday, if you've done all of that, you maybe got 15 minutes of developing brotherly love with other people. It's hard to move past being a stranger in just five to ten minutes. It's hard to move past being a stranger in just five to ten minutes. I don't know about you, but I have a brother and a sister. How many of you have a, a sibling out there, a brother or a sister? Yeah, very nice. I have one of each, and I'm actually the oldest, so that makes me the best uh, out of all, all of them. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Sean, you must be the youngest, right? Yeah, babies, they get everything they want. <clears throat> oh, I mean, I brotherly love you, man. I brotherly love you. Yeah. So my brother and I, right, if we had just spent 10 or 15 minutes together once a week, we wouldn't love each other very much. In fact, my brother and I, we had to hang out all the time. We grew up together. He had to go wherever I went or wherever he went, I had to go because we were brothers. We had to do life together. I didn't have a choice about it. If I could have traded him out, I would have lots of times. But here it is 30 some odd years later. And my brother and I are like best friends. Why? Because we did life together for so long that we developed a bond, that people don't have to know that we're brothers to know that we're brothers. John, same guy who wrote this beach story, recorded Jesus saying this. He said, they, that's the world, will know that you are my followers by your love for one another. Listen, God didn't design us to do this thing by ourselves. 
So the point is to get in a group. In fact, listen, I believe this so strongly that I, I want you to do this. I want everybody to take out your phones for just a second. Because if you're not in a group, I've made it super easy for you to be able to find a group today. All right? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to type in in your text messaging the word group me. It's on the screen. Same word, one word right there. And you're going to text it to 97000. And if you do that, it'll send you a short little, hey, tell us your name and your email address. And we will get you in a group for this next series about what makes you happy. Because that's where growth happens, and I don't want you to miss out on being in a group. If Jesus said it, if Jesus did it, then I should probably be doing it too. And so it's important, and we think it's important. And so if you're not in a group, but you're like, you know what? All right, I'm going to take that next step. I'm going to take that next step of getting myself in a group. If, if this is really what's going to help me to grow is to do life together with other people, I'll test it. I tell you what, here's what I'll do. If you'll test it for six weeks with this in this next series, and if you walk out of that series and go, you know what? I absolutely hated it. I hated those people, and nothing changed in my life. I won't stick you in another group ever. It's my group's guarantee, all right? Just... We'll call it a 60-day group guarantee, right? Money back or anything. I'll, I'll even buy your group book back from you if you buy a book and you go into this group. That's how serious I am about this. Because groups change us. Because it's a place that we begin to put into practice the things that God has been teaching us. It's the place where we get to say, hey, I think I, I know something about Jesus. And we get to have other people go, yeah, that's not something about Jesus. Or, man, that's so cool. I just, that makes me so excited to hear what it is that you're learning. I didn't know that either. And we grow together. Here's the second thing. If you're already in a group, if you're already in a group, I'm going to take you a step further. Because groups is brotherly love. It's where that happens. But Peter says, listen, the next level from that is agapao, generous love. And how in the world are you supposed to do generous love? Well, here, if you're already in a group, here's what I think you should do. You begin to take that brotherly love that exists in your group to other people. You begin to extend it beyond yourself. In fact, one of the things we talk about in our groups is, is that there are lots of different people groups that exist here in Australia. Now, that's not needs-based groups, right? Sometimes we think, you know what, what I need to do, this is really loving people, is that I'll, I'll love the people who really need something. And we feel good about ourselves when we, when we go and do that. And listen, there's nothing wrong with helping the poor. It's a really great thing to do. In fact, Jesus said that we're supposed to take care of, of the orphan and the poor and the widow. We're supposed to do that. But listen, we don't have to do that through our group structure only. Our groups are designed to be able to extend what the kingdom looks like to other people. We're supposed to be able to take what brotherly love looks like and say, hey, we're going to come alongside of you and show you what brotherly love looks like. By the way, brotherly love is not perfect. My brother and I, we fight. Sometimes we have brotherly hate. But at the end of the day, we're still family. 
he's not kicking me out. I'm not kicking him out. And we're going to reconcile because we're family. And Jesus says that's what the world is looking for. They're looking for family. They're looking for a place to belong. They're looking for people who understand that about each other and are not going to get all politically correct about everything and so non-connected that I'm just left feeling empty. They're looking for real people, authentic people, not perfect people. Jesus says, once you have figured out this brotherly love thing, take it beyond you. Begin to find some people to get alongside of for the purpose of the gospel. So if your group says, you know what? We think there are bunko people here in Australia that need to know about Jesus. So our whole group's going to go start playing bunko with the bunko people. Why? So that we can tell them about Jesus one day. We just want to love them in a crazy way. If they have prizes, we're going to be the ones that bring the prizes in. So they go, well, why are you guys doing that? Because we love you guys. If they have a problem with something, if they need somebody who cleans up afterwards, whatever it is that those bunko people need, we're going to be there for them and serve them and love them like nobody else has ever loved them. Why? Because Jesus loved me. And when they ask me one day, I'm going to tell them that. What happens is, is people are desperate for that. They're looking for that. They've been looking for family their whole life. They've been looking for a place to belong in a world that tells them that they don't belong. And we have it. And so if you're already in a group, here's the next level. Here's how to level up. Extend it. Don't just go out and say, hey, come to my group. That's scary. Somebody who has no idea what this really love thing looks like, and you're like, hey, come to my, my group where we're going to talk about Jesus. They're like, oh, time out. You show up at a football game and go run the concession stands for them, and all the profits still go to them. Nothing comes to your group. You go to a soccer game for under five-year-olds and you're there just to cheer on, help support a mom who's trying to figure out how to be a coach that's never done it before, and you're like, you know what, we're just going to be here to help, and we, we just, we just want to love on your team. We'll bring oranges every single week. You'll what? Yeah, we just want to love you guys. That's the kind of generous love that Jesus is talking about, that Peter's talking about. Listen, we don't need to be prickly people. Don't be a Sohoro. Don't be a solo act out there because groove, excuse me, growth happens in groups. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today. A message about how to grow. The place that is safe for us, loving and accepting for us, but God is also an incredible tool that you have designed for your kingdom. 
God, I pray that we would be a people of groups. That we look forward to talking and hanging out on Sunday, but we look forward to doing life throughout the course of the week. Having people pray for us specifically on the things that are going on in our life. And God, to be able to watch the transforming power of your love when we share it with somebody else. God, we just continue to give you glory and honor for the things that you're doing and for the work that's going on here. God, I thank you for the way that you are challenging people right now about what it is that they need to be doing in their life. And God, I pray for some of them, somebody was brought up to their mind that they need to go have some fellowship with and love on. God, I pray that we'd act on those things too. Just give you glory and honor in your name. Amen.